Welcome to the Mind Body Musings Podcast, the show for everyone and anyone that is ready to break free from the dogmatic chains of the health and fitness industry and create their own life free from restrictions. Now, introducing your host, Madeline Moon, a former fitness model gone sane and the author of the popular self-love book, The Perfection Myth. If you dig the show and you're looking for more insight on how to stop food and exercise from controlling your life, check out her website, maddiemoon.com, and grab your free guide. If you're ready to end dieting once and for all, it's time you learn how to pursue real health instead. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the show for episode 49. Today, I want to present to you a fellow podcaster who has a really incredible thing going for her. Christy Harrison dives deep into the psychology between our relationship with food, health, and calories in her amazing podcast, Food Psych. Christy is also a registered dietitian nutritionist in private practice, specializing in eating disorders, chronic disease prevention and management, and health at every size. Using principles of intuitive eating and mindfulness, she works with clients to improve their relationships to food while improving their health. Even more, Christy is a journalist with over 11 years of experience in food and nutrition media. She has written for and edited award-winning books, magazines, and websites, including Gourmet and Modernist Cuisine. Her work aims to capture the joy in food, nutrition, science, and food politics. In her podcast, Food Psych, she talks with guests actors, chefs, comedians, psychologists, and more about their relationship to food, their weird eating habits, and fond food memories. I recently recorded with Christy on her podcast where we had an awesome conversation about sandwiches and food fears, so I am super excited to see what kind of magic we can create on my show. So without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Christy. Thank you, Maddie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. Um, when our good friend Katie Delbout from the Wellness Wonderland Radio told me about your show, I was really intrigued and I listened to it and I love, I love just like your, um, the way you interview, your interview style is really awesome. So I'm hoping that I can <laughs> return the favor and be a good interviewer for you. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much. And it was so great having you on my show too. It was a blast. Yeah, I'll make sure that whenever that one, cause that's going to be live after this um, mm-hmm. is up. So I'll make sure I put the sh- the link to your podcast in this, of course, so that awesome. people can head over there. But anyways, let's go ahead and dive deep into your background story. How did you become so interested in intuitive eating and health at every size? And like, where did your journey start? Yeah, so I think it was kind of a roundabout journey. Um, I've had a lot of different paths into it, but I guess they all sort of start with my own disordered eating back in college. Um, so I went, I, I was actually as a, a child, I would say like my relationship to food was pretty decent. Um, I had some of the usual, um, you know, stuff with my mom was always trying to lose weight. So I definitely had that kind of messaging in there, but it was never like imposed on me. Um, so I, I kind of saw myself as separate and I felt like my parents related to me around food fairly well. Um, I did have a period of emotional eating in probably fourth grade that lasted, you know, that I, I started turning to food for comfort. And that kind of came and went throughout my, like the rest of my childhood, um, up until 
early college, but I had never had an issue with my weight and I'd always been athletic and I grew up in California. So we had a lot of like fresh vegetables and, you know, fruit and stuff around all the time. And my parents were really into balanced meals and, um, weren't too obsessive, but, you know, provided a lot of good stuff. So I, I didn't actually struggle that much as a kid. Um, but then I got to college and, I gained the freshman 15. Um, I actually didn't, it probably wasn't my freshman year um, when that happened. I, I might have gained some weight my freshman year, but I, I went away to Paris for my junior year abroad. And that's when uh, significant weight gain happened, both because I think I was just eating unfamiliar foods. I was not exercising as much. My sort of normal fitness routine was different, you know, was different there. They don't really have gyms in Paris or they didn't at the time back in 2001 when I was there. Um, so I was eating a lot of like cheese and yogurt and bread and butter. And I'm sure some of it had to do with that. Some of it also had to do with a birth control pill that I was on, which was just the wrong choice for me. And that, you know, caused a lot of other symptoms too. Um, so I, I gained weight and it was the first time in my life that I had had to think about my weight and, you know, think about losing weight, um, which I now know, you know, like there were so, so many things that I didn't really have you know, that I couldn't control through food and exercise, what really was the issue mostly was the birth control. And if I had gone off that, the weight gain probably would have reversed itself or mostly, you know, but at the time I was like, oh God, what do I do? Started looking around on the internet, our good friend, the internet, and uh, found lots of bad ideas and um, basically spiraled from, you know, trying to lose weight into like, a lot of restriction and at one point pretty severe restriction and started to have some uh, health consequences associated with anorexia. But people, you know, doctors didn't really fully diagnose me. Um, I got a couple of different people speculating that maybe I had an eating disorder, but nothing was ever really confirmed. And so I kind of floundered around um, for a while, probably a couple of years, um, you know, tr bouncing back and forth between doctors and nobody really could figure out what was going on. Um, and, you know, in that time, looking back at it now, I can see how like my youthful relationship to food that was fairly intuitive got really screwed up when I started trying to intervene myself and led me down this path of really disordered eating and less and less trust in my body and at my worst point, I thought, I genuinely believed that if I started just eating normally again and stopped trying to control my food and my weight so much, I would balloon. Like I would be this, you know, super overweight person. And to me at the time, that was terrifying. And I can now see that A, that wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world. And B, it wasn't realistic because what my body's set point had been up until that point was fairly consistent and there's no reason to believe it would have changed if I had just gone back to eating normally. But um, I had all this stuff in my head about what my body should look like, you know, diet advice and people doing, at the time it was the low carb thing. So I had a lot of that stuff, you know, fad diet stuff kind of kicking around in my head. Um, and I just, I just was a mess. I was so unhappy and so fixated on food and had such a hard time doing anything um, you know, requiring my attention because my, my attention would get hijacked by thoughts of food and calories and weight and my body. Um, so, you know, I, I just, I experienced firsthand, I guess, how terrible it can be to be disconnected from your intuition around food. 
And it wasn't until much later that I, um, you know, recovered enough to be able to use that in my work with other people. Um, it was kind of a long and convoluted journey. So I, um, went to work as a food journalist and then I went back to school for nutrition and really it wasn't until I went back to school for nutrition that I finally got, can I swear on the podcast? I don't know if you guys do, but I got my, I'll say I got my, my stuff together, um, got myself together, uh, and, um, you know, was able to start relating to my body in a, in a fully healthy way. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, but now I realize that intuitive eating is really, you know, the scientifically valid way to go. It's, it, you know, has been shown that people who eat intuitively generally maintain their weight in the absence of any um, hormonal conditions or, you know, chronic disease states that might cause weight gain or loss. Um, People's bodies tend to do a pretty good job of maintaining homeostasis, and that is what the body wants in so many ways. It does it, you know, your body does that for you all the time with your blood and, you know, your lungs, your kidneys, all the, all the chemical balances in your body have to be in a really tight range. And it's no different for your weight. You know, that's, you're, you're meant to be at a certain range and your body's going to fight to keep, keep you there, keep you where your set point is. Um, so, you know, we would, all, we would all do well, I think, to listen to it. So all this is so fascinating. Like your story, I, I feel like a lot of people are probably nodding their heads as you're saying this because <laughs> those same fears are the fears that all of us seem to face in some way or another. And your field, there there are quite a few things that I want to go back and touch on. Mm-hmm. But first yeah, I of kind all, of just rambled on there. <laughs> it was great. I love I love when people do that. But um, I was taking some notes. But Good. when it comes to intuitive eating, so a lot of it is just like trust. Like it just you. It, yes. it is it is science, but, you know, who has all the time to do the research of how homeostasis happens? You know, what we like to do is go to podcasts and listen to the message that confirms, <laughs> yes, it does work. So right. then we try to just, like, go forward and trust it. But, uh, you know, like, thinking about my own experiences, even I, I struggle with this. I struggle. I struggle all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I, – all I have are my – is um, – is my experiences really? I'm like, okay, well, the past year I've been doing it and I'm the same as I was at the beginning of the year. So obviously it probably works. But there are times where I'm like, okay, well, you know, now I'm dating someone. So things are going to change. Things are different. Mm-hmm. I've got someone in my life and I know that you've started dating someone for a while now. <laughs> and it's like when things like that change and then you, you invite someone into your life and then routines change or say you have celebrations coming up or holidays, it's Christmas. What, what do you do? Like moving forward in these kind of events or these new things happen, you're like, okay, my eating patterns are totally different than they were for the past year. I know it mm-hmm. worked for the past year, but what about now? You know, like how do you trust yeah. that? Yeah, I think um, it's only come to me in the past couple of years myself. You know, I think I really um, didn't have a full sense of trust about it for a long time and would still sort of feel like, oh God, my clothes are tighter. I have to do something to combat that. You know, I've been eating all this, you know, crap or whatever. I've been eating so differently. Um, and, you know, I finally realized like it's it that kind of, um, you know, difference in routine, these sort of small variations in your routine for, you know, a period of a few days or a week or one meal a day or something don't add up like we think they do. You know, your body does actually do a pretty good job of handling small variations in uh, your intake. It's it's more a matter of when your entire diet changes or you, you know, drop out of fitness completely while your diet is changing or something like that that you might see anything significant happen. But, you know, if you're, if you're like, you know, going out to dinner with your, 
excuse me, your boyfriend or your significant other a couple times a week or, um, you know, you're like snacking a lot during the holidays on like cookies or whatever delicious sweets are around, your body is going to take care of that. Like it's not actually, um, you know, if you do find that you're a little bloated or things are fitting differently or whatever, that's not true weight gain. Usually that's just from water weight and it goes away on its own. It takes a lot more to gain, you know, muscle or fat like in a sustainable way. Um, so, you know, I've, I guess I've learned that through my, my research and my studies in nutrition and, you know, it's been reinforced not only through science, but also through like work I've done with clients and, you know, seeing them respond well to, um, you know, normalizing their food intake or intuitive eating and even including holidays, including, you know, different, um, kind of variations in the routine, you know, it, it, it doesn't really show up as a sustainable difference um, on someone's body or on the scale. Not that those things are something we should necessarily measure ourselves by anyway, but I know that, you know, a lot of people are in a phase where they're still doing that and they're concerned that those those markers are going to change. Um, so I, yeah, I guess I just, I started to trust and then I started to trust more and it was this sort of ever deepening process of trust and I can genuinely say that now I don't fear any holiday and I don't fear going out to eat with my boyfriend um, or the fact that we always like have a snack together at night, you know, that's kind of become our routine is like have a snack in front of the TV. Um, you know, none of those things have changed my body. So um, I think it, you know, it was, it was one thing to know the science and to see it for clients, you know, to see it happen for people I worked with, but it was quite another and quite, quite a lot more affirming to see that that was the case for myself too. Yeah. It's really an eye opener. It's exciting and um, mm-hmm. it's scary, but it's also like this, this actually works. This, this thing works. Yeah. Um, okay. So this is going to be a different story for everyone, I'm sure. But, you know, thinking about, you know, you said that, sorry, I know I say, you know, a lot, <laughs> you'll notice it. Oh, that's okay. But, um, <laughs> So say there is someone who has started eating differently, ha- going out to eat more than often. They also have an injury, you know, and then <laughs> then they break something and they can't be working out quite as much, but they also don't want to sacrifice those good times they're having by eating out. And then mm-hmm. they do start to put on weight, but they can't go to the gym or they can't work out and can't keep up with their fitness routine like they want to. Then th- what becomes the focus? Is the focus now just being mindful of your nutrition, continuing to eat what you want to eat when you're full, stop when you're, um, when you're full or eat when you're hungry, mm-hmm. or do you focus on like letting it go and then, you know, health at every size and just focusing on that and trying to not care if you're gaining weight? I, I would say a little bit of both. Um, so I definitely think that putting too much emphasis on the scale and, you know, changes in weight can be really detrimental to a lot of, you know, pretty much anyone. Um, Because any sort of effort to intentionally change your weight through restricting or over-exercise for that matter, um, but in this case, it would be probably more, you know, restricting your diet, um, generally ends up in, you know, obsessive thoughts and an altered negative relationship to food and in extreme cases can lead to eating disorders. Um, so, you know, I would say it's definitely best not to, not to make the focus too much on the weight and, and just, you know, so health at every size in that sense of, you know, acknowledging like, okay, my weight is, you know, maybe a little higher than I would like right now because I'm not working out and, 
you know, I've been going out to eat a lot. And so maybe I'm sort of at a higher, the higher point of my set range, but acknowledging and sort of embracing that people do have a set range. It's not just a set point. It's actually more of a range. And, you know, your body is never going to get um, too far outside of that range. But if you're not doing a lot to, you know, um, not a lot of like regular fitness and not a lot of, um, balance in your meals, then you're probably going to end up higher at that, you know, higher on the set range. Conversely, if you're, you know, paying attention to your food most of the time or, you know, planning well and having a lot of balance and you're exercising moderately and regularly, you'll probably end up at the lower end of your set range. And, you know, it's, it's not all that different probably. Um, but, you know, so if you're, I, I would say, you know, if you're injured and you're not able to exercise, trying to embrace where you are and just be kind to yourself and take care of yourself, knowing that, you know, you do want to do physical activity in the future and you want to be capable of moving your body and doing whatever it takes to, you know, recuperate and um, get to a place where you can do the kind of motion that is right for you. Um, I think is really important. And then also just, you know, it, it is about balance. So I would say if you find yourself going out to eat for the majority of your meals or, um, you know, snacking mindlessly throughout the day or things that you feel like are not um, coming from hunger per se, but just sort of eating for emotional reasons or eating because of environmental cues because you're in an office where there's snacks around all the time or something, then, you know, that's a time when I would say take a look at your eating habits and try to make some changes that'll bring you more into balance, not for your weight, but for your health, you know, because I think it is, um, it's shown that when you go out to eat, you know, meals typically have a lot more sodium than something you would make at home. Um, you know, and if you're snacking mindlessly throughout the day, you're sort of overriding your body's hunger and fullness cues and getting yourself away from intuitive eating, possibly overeating for what your body needs. So just sort of, you know, being mindful of all of those factors and, and, you know, working toward a balance that's right for you, but, um, you know, being kind enough with yourself, but also, um, you know, putting enough limits on yourself too. It's, it's some people say it's like good parenting, like training yourself to eat well is like being a good parent. And, you know, some of us have experienced sort of dysfunctional families where this wasn't the case, but the, the good enough parent is one who can set appropriate limits and, you know, help the child um, make good decisions and live in a society, follow the rules, you know, as appropriate, but also let them have their freedom to explore, to engage, to be their, themselves, um, you know, to play. So, kind of thinking about that balance in your food life, I think is really helpful, you know, allowing yourself some fun foods, some foods that you just eat for pure enjoyment or because you like them. Um, and then also, you know, helping yourself think about what's going to be nutritious, what's going to be sustaining and nourishing and choosing those foods, you know, most of the time as well. Mm -hmm. Right. And the whole eating out thing, I want to touch on this mm -hmm. for a little bit because in my world, like the world that I'm coming from, the not my world anymore, but when mm -hmm. I used to be in the fitness industry, it was like, don't go out to eat, don't go out to eat, like you don't know what's <laughs> in the food, it's so scary. And so right. I've been having to unlearn that from my life for the past two years. I've, it's mm. been, it's not easy. And I think a lot of people can relate to this because you start to fear eating out. So even when I go out today, it's like, I'm eating out. I'm eating out. And then I remember, like, there's nothing bad about eating out. Um, that you don't automatically, like, say you get 
a wrap or something, it doesn't automatically just have a ton of calories. Like you, you don't know, like, no, it's exactly. not, and, and I always think that it does like for some reason, not always, but, um, I've come a long way since, you know, starting mm-hmm. my going out to eat journey, but it's helped me a lot with intuitive eating just because I well, like being in my own kitchen, I'm so used to having my routine. Like I go to the kitchen and I mm-hmm. pull out the chicken and I make the broccoli. And like I had to get out and I had to start going places and being like, don't look for the light meals. Just look for a meal that looks good. Eat it. See mm-hmm. how much do I eat? You know, experiment with restaurants and foods. So is it really just like it's not even do you think that it is actually eating out is what we should be careful about or just like when we eat out, what we get, mm-hmm. like making sure that we're getting a nice combination of, of nourishment and energizing foods. It's not really just eating out is what's not optimal, right? Exactly. Yeah. I, I would say, you know, there's definitely a way to eat out that is balanced and sustainable and nourishing. Um, you know, the only concern really in, in sort of like uh, consistently eating out would be sodium because it's true that restaurant foods tend to be a lot higher in sodium than something you would make at home. So that's only really an issue if you're someone who's watching their blood pressure or who's at risk for high blood pressure um, or for heart disease. But, you know, for the vast majority of probably your listeners, I would imagine that's not so much the case. It's, you know, probably younger um, listeners who maybe don't have as many health risks. I don't know. But, you know, so I, I would say like eating out, I think, is a really fun element to, um, to eating and definitely should be part of anyone's eating plan, you know, as, as, um, available, like if, you know, whatever you can afford to do, you know, go experience different cuisines, different foods, like it, it can be such a fun and joyful experience and definitely not something to fear, um, you know, in terms of calories or what have you. Um, cause I think, you know, I, I actually think this, this calorie labeling thing that's happening in a lot of, cities and a lot of chain restaurants, um, it's kind of a double-edged sword and probably not so great, uh, ultimately, because I think people, you know, anyone who fears calories is going to look for the lowest calorie thing, right? No matter whether it it seems like it's going to taste good or be satisfying, you know, it's just going to be like, what's the smallest number on this menu. And then, you know, for other people, like, even if they don't fear calories, maybe they don't understand how calories fit into the context of their diet. So they're like, oh, 100 calories, that's really high, I need to find something less or whatever, you know, like they just won't, you know, I I mean, I like to tell people that calories are not the enemy, calories are actually just a measure of energy. It's just, that's the label for the unit of energy that we get from food. So I usually like to say energy instead of calories to remind people like, no, this is, this is good. This is your fuel, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, you know, you would with a gas tank in a car, you don't want to like overfill it all the time. Right. But, um, you need to fill it up adequately so that you can run, uh, you know, optimally. Yeah. I'm a little bit nervous about the conversations that are going to be happening around these calorie mm-hmm. markers just because I'm imagining like, okay, first they're going to be the people that look for the lowest number. And then like, mm-hmm. even from there they eat it and then they're probably still hungry and then they go eat yep. everything else in sight at home. Yep, exactly. And then there are the people that are like, oh my gosh, 27 grams of fat. That's awful. I can't eat that. So then mm-hmm. they eat the highest carbohydrate thing. And then there are the people that are like, oh my gosh, 27 grams of fat and 55, 55 grams of carbs. Oh my gosh, you can't have fat and carbs. And then mm-hmm. there are people that are like, what's like low fat and low carb, but high protein, it's like all such a mess. And everyone is like taking sides and confused. And it's like, 
uh, even I, I actually tend to avoid restaurants that have those on the menu mm-hmm. because I, I mean, I'm not, I, I'm good with like knowing, okay, look for what sounds the best first, but no mm-hmm. one can ignore those numbers. They're staring yeah. you and like, and then they do make a difference in what I pick. And normally I'm like, what do I feel more like today? Do I want more calories? Do I want more of this or more of that? Even if it's a positive thing, I'm like, okay, I just like had a really awesome hike and I really need to refuel. It still shouldn't have a say, even if it makes me eat more. Cause right. I'm like, let give me something that has more calories. Cause I want more calories. It still shouldn't have to play any part at all, whether it's good or bad. I don't want it swaying yeah. me. I just don't like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point is that, you know, if that is always going to be on your mind with those things, then just avoid places that have them, you know, as mm-hmm. as um, good as some of those places are. It's like it, it just adds this element to your eating experience that it takes you away from, you know, what you really want and what your body needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So moving forward, I want to touch on when you were giving about your, your background, your past, you said mm-hmm. that when you were like in fourth grade, you were having some emotional eating tendencies. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I'm just curious. Sure. Yeah. Well, so, um, in fourth grade, my family moved, we moved from, um, Oakland, which is a, a cool city in the Bay area to a suburb that was, you know, really sort of, um, uh, wealthy, you know, well-off suburb, um, a lot less diverse, a lot more conservative. And I did not fare well there. I got made fun of a lot. I was, you know, definitely like the, the outcast in my school for a little while. Um, cause I just, you know, wasn't as like preppy or well-off or on the swim team, um, <laughs> uh, as, as these other people were. And I, I had a really hard time adjusting, Um, and so, and at the same time, my family had bought a house that they, my parents decided to renovate on their own. They were like DIY renovators and they, um, renovated this entire big ranch house, which was amazing. But because they were doing that, they suddenly weren't very involved in our lives. My and my sister, um, they just sort of like checked out on the weekends and we were left to our own devices to play outside or to watch TV or kind of you know, whatever we wanted. Um, and I, so I was lonely. I was having a hard time adjusting. I missed my friends from Oakland and my parents weren't really available, even if they were around, you know, they were doing things. Um, so I did definitely turn to food for comfort a lot that summer and, you know, early that year, um, in school. And, you know, looking back on it, I can now see that it was sort of like it planted a seed of, oh, food is something that I can check out with or that I can soothe myself with. But it never became a huge problem in and of itself because, you know, there wasn't like, I mean, unfortunately, this is the sort of um, unfortunate thing about weight stigma and thin privilege is that, you know, I never really had any significant weight gain from it. So nobody worried about me because it wasn't, it didn't show up. If I had gained significant weight from it, I think there would have been a conversation. So, you know, I think... Unfortunately, I mean, there's there's probably no good outcome when it's weight based discussion. But um, you know, I wasn't I, I wasn't given help for that issue because nobody really know knew it was happening. It didn't really show up, you know. Um, so I think it sort of corrected itself. I think when I started to make friends and have hobbies and do well in school and like other things in my life um, took precedence, so I didn't eat emotionally as much anymore. But I definitely, you know, throughout my life, like up until five years ago or so, whenever I would have 
um, some sort of, you know, sadness or difficulty in my life, I often did turn to food for comfort. Yeah, I mean, you, you had to find your your special high somewhere. You know, we found it yeah. through food, and then once you finally got plugged in with your friends, then you got it there, and you you had pleasure there. Do you mm-hmm. have any advice for parents? Like, if your parents didn't notice this, there may be parents out there thinking, like, I wonder if my kid's going through something. What would you? What kind of advice would you give um, parental figures if their kids are possibly like doing these kind of things, but they can't see it from weight gain? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would say, you know, talk to your kids, try to have an open discussion about like what food means to them, but also in general, just like how they're doing in their lives, you know, are they happy? Are they, do they have friends? You know, I did like tell my parents this and I think they, you know, they tried to help, but they also were like a little oblivious maybe to how much it was affecting me. So I would say, and I don't know if I was, you know, the best at like really letting my parents in either. I think at around, 10 or 11, like kids do start to get a little, they're like tweens, you know, they start to get a little kind of secretive or, um, parents aren't as, as cool as they once were, uh, you know, suddenly it's more about like the peers and, um, you know, admiring celebrities and stuff like that. So the tween years can be difficult for talking to kids, but I think, you know, at any stage, if a parent is open and, you know, genuinely curious and doesn't punish a kid for what they share, but, you know, is, is willing to help. I think that goes a long way. So I think, you know, if you, if you notice your kid, like, I mean, there can be subtle signs, you know, if, if a snack food is suddenly, you know, the package is empty or whatever, you know, that can be a sign that the kid was just really hungry or that they're emotionally eating. And it's, it's hard to know. And I think it, it, you know, can be, a challenge to talk about those things without shaming a kid too, because, you know, food shame is definitely uh, a potential problem as well. So I'd say be very careful with how you discuss food with your kids, but, you know, try to model good behavior yourself and try to discuss things with them, you know, with as much openness and as little judgment as possible. Yeah, that's really good advice. Do you ever feel like you, you, you like sit down and you try to like dive deep into your past and figure out where it all started and that one moment like trying to pinpoint moments where you were triggered and stuff like that sometimes I do that and I'm like oh yeah I try to like think back to all the memories I had of like food thoughts or body image thoughts and and then I like sometimes I'm like man I was really consumed as a kid and I'm like wait no I wasn't I I didn't even think about food or my body I was too like invested in Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and then (laughs) I'll have another memory and be like wait a minute guess I was and then (laughs) it's really hard like it's hard to be able to like you know have that perspective because honestly I, I just have a jumble of memories and most mm-hmm. all of them as a kid I was oblivious I had I had so much fun and I've said this on yeah. another podcast I used to eat like little Debbie's all the time like I'd probably have two mm. three like after school and then I'd have like dinner and like I I was fine like I you know I was so yeah. passionate about books and music I used to play like four different instruments I just loved wow. life but then when I think of other memories I'm like wow I remember that time where I was like just like not eating at all like I would see mm-hmm. how few calories I could eat in a day and I was like in fifth grade like you know it's like wow. really weird just back and forth jumbling memories totally yeah and I think I think that speaks to the fact that it's like a real spectrum you know disordered right. eating is a spectrum it's not like black and white and there's some people who certainly fall into the dis, you know the 
disordered category or have diagnosable eating disorders and it's clear. And I think that's obvious to the person in a lot of cases when, you know, they know they're consumed by food all the time. They're, you know, restricting to deal with emotional issues or they're eating to deal with emotional issues. And, you know, generally people know that's not okay. Although if it starts really young, that can, it can actually be difficult to pinpoint because sometimes kids just fall into that. Um, but I think for, you know, most people it's, it, there is some kind of gray area stuff in there and it, it depends on like, there's so many factors that can either, you know, amplify those disordered, um, tendencies or can mitigate those disordered tendencies. And it has a lot to do with the community you find yourself in and, you know, the ways that you manage stress. Maybe if you've learned to deal with stress or emotions in a positive way versus, you know, been left to your own devices to figure out a way to deal with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it, it you know, definitely I experienced like looking back at my life and thinking like, oh, that, that might be sort of a foreshadowing of, you know, what happened with me later. But who knows, you know, maybe if I had never stumbled into the situation where I gained weight inadvertently and, you know, just fell down an internet rabbit hole about it, but had actually, you know, I don't know, talked to a therapist about it or, um, you know, had never gone on that pill in the first place and never had the weight gain, like, I, who knows how different my life would have been, you know? So I think about that sometimes too. I'm like, you know, I went through a lot of, like a lot of dark years, I think because of that. But I also feel like that gave me such clarity in so many other ways, having gone through it and having had to process it. So. Right. Right. Okay. So the pill, um, yeah. How, how, how are you doing now? Like, what, what do you do now? Like to make sure that you don't like get back on, like you're not on birth control of any sort right now, I'm assuming. No. Yeah, I'm not. So you, do you kind of recommend that most people get off that as soon as possible? I don't only because, um, you know, everybody's different and some people really benefit from being on birth control to normalize their periods and to reduce PMS symptoms and stuff. So I definitely don't recommend that everybody get off birth control. I think it's, you know, something to talk about with your doctor. It's very individualized. Um, I think, you know, if people have experienced like significant rapid weight gain with a pill, it's definitely worth looking at other options. Um, and I think in my experience, and this is just personal opinion, this is not, I mean, none of what I say should be construed as medical advice, I should say, but, um, you know, especially just in my personal experience for this, I found that when I would talk to doctors about like, I think that this birth control pill is causing these symptoms. Cause I was on a number of different ones over those years, you know, and from freshman year to junior year of college. Um, and you know, I had cycled through a few different pills that caused some side effects for me that just weren't, weren't okay. And that's how I ended up on the one that caused the weight gain. But um, every time I talked to doctors about what I thought might be side effects because I felt like, oh, I started taking this pill and suddenly now I'm always dizzy when I stand up or whatever. It was always minimized and it was always like, oh, that's probably not the pill. That might just be stress, you know, give it some time. And, uh, you know, I just felt like I, I, it, through trial and error, I kind of determined like, well, okay, but if I go off this pill, the dizziness goes away. So that's weird. You know, like it, it ended up, feeling like the pill had a lot of side effects that people weren't acknowledging. So I guess I would say to people, like, if that's been your experience where if you feel like it's pretty significant that you go on a pill and something happens rather quickly after you start it, it's probably worth, you know, 
talking to your doctor about it, seeing what happens if you go off and try something else that might have the same effects, you know, under your doctor's care. Um, but I wouldn't say that everybody should get off birth control. I definitely think it has a place. Do you have any holistic birth control methods that you use or you would recommend to your clients? I don't really. Um, I just use condoms, (laughs) but Um, you know, and I know that there is the IUD, the copper based IUD. A lot of people have uh, great success with, I think it's actually more, it might might be more effective than condoms or at least as effective. I actually have that right now. Oh yeah. 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 And it's hormone free. It's, it's totally natural. So I think that's a potentially a good way to go. Yeah. I am like so far, like it's, I think it, uh, you know, for all the guys listening, sorry, but <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it, I like it. And, you know, I, I wanted something to have, you know, going on so I could, you know, something mm-hmm. safe because it was no hormones. And I was like, okay, the last thing I want to do is put hormones in my body because, um, you know, as you know, it took me a year to get my period back after getting off yeah. birth control and after like straightening out my, um, disordered eating habits and just starting to feel mm-hmm. my body. But like with this one, it's just like it, it's like the periods are way more intense, which mm. is not very fun at all. And it's like, you know, I'm going to have to see, I'll see like in a couple months if this is going to work because like, that's how it's going so far. And like, that's just not fun at all. So right. I don't know. It's a confusing, hard thing that we women have to deal with, but you know, someone has to deal with it and we're strong. Totally. <laughs> I know it is, it is really frustrating that we have to deal with this and like go through so much trial and error to find what works. But yeah, I think it, you know, it's a very complicated thing because I know quite a few people who have some sort of eating disorder or disordered eating who have so many hormonal complications from it. And sometimes that resolves when the disordered eating resolves. And, you know, it's like, oh, okay, I just needed to eat more. And mm-hmm. sometimes it doesn't completely resolve. And there can be things that might be triggered or kicked off by um, a period of restrictive eating that, you know, maybe become kind of the new normal so it just really depends but it it is very frustrating we have to deal with that yeah definitely okay so switching gears a little bit I want to talk Mm -hmm. about food fears because one thing that you do in your podcast that I love is that you always start the episode um eating a food that your guest uh once feared you know was nervous about how how did you come up with that idea so I guess it sort of evolved. Um, when I first started doing the podcast, I I had it be, because um, the podcast was more general when it started. It wasn't just about eating disorders and recovery. It was kind of about this whole spectrum of relationships to food and talking to people who, you know, might not have had any sort of eating disorder diagnosis, but have just like interesting stories about their relationship to food. So at the time it started as like some, a food that was just emotionally significant to the person in some way. It could be, you know, a fear food or could be a a beloved food, something that they associate with family or memories. And, you know, we would talk about that. Um, so I loved that, but, um, for the second season of the podcast, I decided because so many of my listeners uh, said that they were struggling with eating disorders themselves, I decided to kind of get more specific and talk about recovery and, you know, address some of those issues head on. So I think it was sort of a natural progression that it became like a previous fear food um, was the food that we would eat together because it's kind of a nice symbol, you know, showing people that like recovery is possible and Mm -hmm. it's possible to relate differently to these foods that we once had such fear of. 
Have you ever been told like a certain food that that your guest wants to eat, and then you yourself were like, "Oh man, I've got to <laughs> eat that." Like, uh oh. Yeah, I think like not in a um, not in a feeling triggered way, but in sort of a like, oh, it's not my favorite," or um, yeah, I don't know, just sort of like not partic- particularly wanting to eat it, or not even knowing where to start, like with getting it or, you know, dealing with it. Um, one time though, I can think of like an early episode of the podcast. I probably recorded it two years ago and I was definitely recovered, you know, in mind and body, but I think I still had like maybe some residual things about like nutrition that I didn't even realize were sort of kicking around in my head, but I just sort of had gotten like used to the way I was doing things. And then someone came on the podcast who wanted to eat like a crusty baguette. And, you know, shopping for the baguette, I realized like, oh, I always gravitate towards the whole grain version of anything. And I've gotten to the point where like thinking about buying a baguette just feels kind of foreign to me. And I don't know when the last time I bought a baguette was like, I'll eat them in restaurants, but I haven't like had one in my home for quite a while. And so it just sort of woke me up to like, oh, I still might, you know, have fallen into this kind of like slightly orthorexic or um, just like habitual sort of trap that, you know, it just made me look at that and think like, oh, okay, actually like this is delicious and why have I been denying myself the pleasure of buying these things once in a while? Mm, yeah. Has it made, well, do you think it maybe like went back to your French days or your Paris days when you were, that's when you had gained? Yeah, money? it might've definitely, it might've, you know, that, that could definitely be why I sort of instinctively avoided them. Um, not just because of weight gain, but also because of like, you know, what, you know, kind of the difficulties I had during that time with food in general, like I was starting to relate to food in sort of a negative way. And so, yeah, I think it, it definitely could have to do with that. But I'm happy to report that after that episode, a couple of years ago, I've like been, you know, eating baguettes fairly consistently, not like all the time, but you know, I, I will buy them now. So, so that's awesome. That's like, that's yeah. really, really cool. I think that's a really good practice. Like, for people listening to your show to maybe even like, you know, read to see what you're eating. And then maybe if they're yeah. in the mood or they can eat it as well, like as the podcast is going on, do you ever recommend people do that? I had never had, but I think that's a great idea. Actually. I feel like that's kind of a nice way to challenge yourself at home in a sort of, you know, safe space. Like if you feel like you can do it and it's something you're interested in, you know, try eating it with us and see what happens. Totally. Like, uh, I, I think that would be a, a way for, for people to get their own, like, therapy session. Like, listening <laughs> to a really good message while challenging themselves and not being alone mm-hmm. as they do it. They're with all these other people that are doing the same thing. Yeah, that's a cool idea. Like, a little group uh, group eating session. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think that would be amazing. And I, I definitely think it's a, it's a worthwhile practice to sort of continue, like, asking yourself questions about food. Like if you're, you know, if you, if you see a menu and you're really having a reaction to something on the menu, like aversion or, you know, feeling sort of like, oh, there's nothing I can eat here or, you know, any sort of like negative reaction to food, I think it's worth, you know, exploring what that's about. And, you know, if you're recovered, like, is that, you know, some residual thing from your eating disorder days that you're like, you know, you have just a negative association with and you don't want to eat? Or is it, you know, just sort of a genuine dislike, and that is completely okay. Like, if you don't, you know, certain foods just aren't your favorite, that's not a big deal. Um, 
But, you know, I think it's, it's good practice, too, to be able to eat anything, you know, if you're kind of thrown into an unfamiliar situation and you have to eat something, it's good to be able to figure out, like, all right, well, I can eat this and um, I can do it if I have to, you know. Right. Do you think that there are any problems with intuitive eating, like the hunger fullness thing? I do in terms of, like, readiness, um, you know, people's readiness. I think sometimes people try to go into intuitive eating too soon and it can backfire. I think it's such a great impulse that, you know, if if someone's gotten to the place in their journey where they're ready for intuitive eating or they feel ready or they want to do intuitive eating um, and they try it and it kind of, like, causes them to slide back or causes a lot of fear and reactions like that's okay that's part of the process but I think sometimes if that happens it can cause people to like run away from intuitive eating you know scare them off for a long time or um cause some you know reactions that might reinforce the fear of certain foods like if you go into intuitive eating when you're not really ready and you start you know allowing yourself to have whatever you want and so fear foods come back and suddenly you find yourself binging on those fear foods that might reinforce that like oh okay x food is not actually all right for me because look at what happens when I eat it and I think that's kind of a normal stage to go through but it's it's important to have like a therapist or a dietitian coaching you through that because oftentimes you know that's a a short phase or you know phase of some amount of time and then you come out of that and you sort of develop an okay relationship to that food and it doesn't happen long term but if you get stuck in that place of like oh I tried intuitive eating and I just ate pints and pints of ice cream so clearly I can't do it I think that's kind of the wrong message and I think maybe you just need some support around intuitive eating and maybe a meal plan that helps you step into it rather than just dive right in. In your experience, what do you think normally people, the conclusion people come to when they realize they don't want to be binging on the ice cream anymore? Because, like, I definitely do mm-hmm. think that that is a part of the process for a lot of people when they first start. Like, yeah, if, you know, I, I, I had a guest on here once, um, Michelle Yeager, and she just said she ate everything for months. And she didn't go yeah. into the gym for four months. And now she's like... I mean, she's vegan now, <laughs> but it's, it's because like, she really is a like diehard animal fan. Like she feels mm-hmm. alive in this way and she's like flourishing. So that's awesome. But yeah. she went through a period where she was eating everything like cookies on cookies on ice cream on like, you know, mm-hmm. tons of meals a day. And like, then she found what works for her and she feels amazing. And, and I, I'm curious what you think, like in your line of work, what, what normally do people normally just get sick of eating it? And then they realize, you know, maybe this food isn't going to like solve all my problems. I should go work on X, Y, and Z instead. Yeah. I think that's one outcome of intuitive eating. And I think that's, you know, in, in the intuitive eating book, they talk a little bit about that, like that, you know, you can let yourself have all this, you know, all of whatever fear food you want. And you'll sort of realize at a certain point that it's not making you feel good. It's not nourishing you. It's, you know, maybe you want to choose other things too along with that food and you can have it in your life, but it doesn't have to be the sole source of nourishment. And I think that that can work for some people, but I think that if you're the type of person who is, you know, like scared, if you do start to go down that road, if you find yourself, you know, binging for days at a time on a certain fear food, you know, are you the type of person who's going to pull back and say like, whoa, okay, that's enough. I I clearly have to go back to my rigid rules because this intuitive eating thing isn't working. Then I would say that 
that method is not really right for you. Um, and I think what I usually do with clients at that point who experience this sort of thing is develop a meal plan that, you know, will nourish them, that will help them feel satisfied, that's in line with their body's needs, and then slowly step off that meal plan into intuitive eating. So, you know, if it's three meals and three snacks a day, start doing one intuitive snack a day and see what happens. And if you're good with that, then start two intuitive snacks, then maybe add a meal intuitively, you know, and just keep progressing until you're off the meal plan and fully intuitively eating. Got it. That's awesome. All right. Well, we're coming up on the hour here. Um, is there anything else that you would like to share with my listeners on intuitive eating or anything in general? Yeah, I think um, I, I would say intuitive eating is like a wonderful goal for people to have uh, at their reco- once they're recovered. And getting there can be sort of a rocky process. And, you know, just don't give up because we're all born to eat intuitively. This is our birthright. You know, everybody is um, programmed to be able to do that as all animals are. So, you know, try to work through whatever it is that's holding you back from that. And if you need a meal plan for a while, or you need a dietitian, or, you know, to get some endocrine issues resolved and do that, but don't give up on intuitive eating. Cause I think it is a worthy goal for everyone. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I will make sure that I have all your links. Oh, yeah. Why don't you go ahead and tell us where they could find you? What's your website? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have two websites. My podcast is foodpsychpod.com. And then my personal website, which is um, for my nutrition counseling practice and my journalism work is christyharrison.com. And uh, I'm on Twitter and Facebook as well. So the links are all there at those two websites. Okay, sounds good. I'll make sure that I have the links to these all on the show notes for this podcast at maddiemoon.com slash mbm49. Thank you so much, Christy. This has been a pleasure. Um, I love your podcast, and I know everyone that listens to this podcast will certainly love yours as well. Thank you so much, Maddie. I love yours too, so it was a pleasure to be on. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, everyone, go head over to maddiemoon.com slash mbm49 and make sure that you check out her awesome show. And while you're there, if you're ready to kickstart your intuitive eating journey, download your free book from me, 10 Proven Steps for Ending Any Diet Obsession, and I'll see you guys later. 